from the Hanneman Health Club here in Inwood, New York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theaters, dancers, and artists of all stripes who make their home what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sim, and today we put our artist spotlight on choreographer Melissa Riker. Melissa is the artistic director and choreographer of Kinesis Project Dance Theater, where she and her collaborators create large-scale dance performances in public spaces. Kinesis Project has core company members in New York City and Seattle, and the company rarely performs in both cities. Melissa is also the executive director of the Extra Genius Festival and founding co-producer of Women in Motion. Both are performance and development platforms celebrating and supporting women and non-binary artists. In 2020, in reaction to the sudden closure of the dance field, Riker founded Dance Rising, a collection of dance artists and administrators that uses performance as activism and advocates for the dance field of New York City. We're going to talk about her work and so much more, but first, Melissa, let me welcome you to Inwood Arts on Air. So good to see you. Thank you, Erin. It's fantastic to be here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be around, right? It is. It's good to be around. It's good to be uptown. It, it, that's I, I say that's absolutely I, I mean I was wondering if I was going to speak with your twin today because you do so much so I'm just happy to happy to find you here in person so thanks for being here so let's dive in uh, because you are in uptown uh, uh, let's talk about Kinesis Project Dance Theater which is a nonprofit organization that creates site specific dance performances and also has an educational arm uh, uh, can you tell us where the name for the company comes from sure so Kinesis is a suffix. It is cytokinesis, photokinesis, but it means movement. So when I was thinking about why I would want to bring together a community of artists to explore something, I knew that we would be exploring movement. We would always, whatever we generate, we will always be generating movement. So it just settled in there, Kinesis Project, a movement exploration is really what that means. And so you do. And we do. <laughs> we explore movement and spaces and the why of everything. Well, that's the perfect segue because what I find most interesting about your company is in the process and the form that the work takes. Because as it begins from your questioning the world around you within specific environments and uh, that becomes a correct me if I'm wrong, please, I, and I know you will, a collaborative, choreographed, site-specific uh, performance. Uh, so can you speak uh, to our listeners about your collaborative process with developing a project with dancers and Kinesis's way of working and designing art within public space? Absolutely. So something that might be a little bit unusual with Kinesis Project, with the work that we do in public spaces, is we actually start our work in the studio. We have a studio in the East Village, and I have a tendency to start the work with questions. So the dancers are usually in the room with me, and let's take our newest work right now, Searchlight. Searchlight started because I saw squid fishing in Seattle. And squid fishing takes place at night. Squid are attracted to light. So I was walking with a friend and I looked out on a pier and what I saw was a pier going out to the water filled with people fishing in the dark with light pouring out over the water. 
So that light was going out over the water. It was kind of messed into the water itself. So there was that rhythm. And then the other element that was happening was a little bit of light getting caught in all of those fishing lines. The fishing lines were constantly moving because people were actively fishing. So the, the final interpretation to me, the final witnessing that I had, was this beautiful chaotic rhythm that was light being caught in these tiny spaces, being sent and received. It started to kind of build this question into me that where, how do these rhythms work? What is it for light to be caught for just a moment? What is it for it to be sent? What is the magnetism of what we're drawn to? And then after a while, and certainly after the last couple of years, definitely over the last year and a half, what is that connection that continues to be between all of us? That is almost like this light being caught in this chaotic rhythm. So that's a lot. But then to peel apart that into questions and to bring that to my dancers, and then we all answer it with movement, is actually where our pieces start. These kind of big, lofty ideas then peel down to individual personal stories of when it would have been really great to have a light. When and what kind of light you're drawn to. We began researching light. We have um, a book of poetry that was written over 40 years of one poet's life called The Light Poems. And in those poems, he has deconstructed over 200 kinds of light. And so then in turn, we've taken those poems, we've deconstructed them, we've deconstructed those words. And so we've built all of these beautiful phrases that are actually really deep and crafted and personal to the dancers. And then we take them and we place them in environments. So not only is the work built into the space, but it's also built very much into the human being that's dancing it. So I think that when our audiences experience our work, these very, very big dances that take over spaces, they're also experiencing something that feels quite intimate and very personal. So my hope always is that we're making something that affects the environment and affects the, peop affects the people that get to interact with that environment on a regular basis and see it just a little bit more differently and remember their own stories while also witnessing the dancers' stories. It's really great because um, that, that, that connection to uh, a, per a personal connection to the material uh, because as much of dance has been in the past is that you learn certain patterns by rote that someone else put together that this is the way we do it, this is the way it's always been done, um, and there's, perhaps it's rigorous, perhaps it's not, but there's something that is prescribed. Uh, so what I really enjoy about yours is that it's, not only is it original in many ways, uh, not all the way, uh, but it's not just original to you, it's original to everyone bringing their piece to it. So every time, if you have a new dancer, it's coming in, it's a totally different experience. It is, it is. The dancers, the dancers' voices, the dancers' individual voices are incredibly important to how the work is presented. So when a new dancer comes in, maybe they will be learning a role because this trajectory of this dancer's pathway is very important to the piece itself. But also, I will be working with them to find out what their story is and find out how they interpret this. And they will always be imbuing that other person's pathway with themselves. So um, 
Very different. Yeah. They're very different than just learning a track. Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Yeah, we call it a track, but it's very oh, different. Oh, do you really? I didn't know we that. We do. I mean, well. you know, the simplicity of the term of knowing what your path is. Right. Well, because there are certain, like, correct, there are certain guideposts you must hit. Right. You have, exactly. it's, it's not like, okay, good luck. <laughs> See you at the end of the piece. Just go dance. <laughs> go dance, kids. Yeah. What did you come up with? That's cool. Um, but, uh, yeah. But, well, uh, well, cre creating and presenting events in one city is challenging enough. I mean, but in two cities, 2,800 miles away from each other, <laughs> that borderlines um, even the biggest personal challenges I think people give each other. So, uh, and I know you have uh, collective members in both cities, but even so, <laughs> I, just, I, I have, to have to ask the question of like, how have you been able to balance it's not just the presenting of work, I think, because it's like you can do it, but it's the engagement with both communities I'm really interested in. How are you able to achieve that? Well, I would say that I'm constantly working to try to be sure that we are engaging the communities. I'm, our last year, let's see, it was a few years ago where I started working regularly with the core company that is in Seattle. And part of that was I would go to Seattle. We would get these wonderful projects with the Seattle waterfront. And I knew that there were dancers that I could trust that were there that would workshop with me the way that I workshop. Um, and also, I will say, one of the pluses of going for a core community is that then they can translate me. They understand me just a little bit more, and we can translate with one another. So. And they understand, they understand one another. They're starting to understand one another. And to me, that creates an even deeper communication between them. Um, so we had, we had had the two core companies. And in the past, what I was always doing was flying New York to Seattle so that we could create these large experiences for Seattle. And then when COVID occurred, uh, when everything shut down, um, I was just incredibly aware that I had one company, two communities that I wanted to keep creative. And we had already started Searchlight. Searchlight was supposed to be premiering on the Seattle waterfront with the full company dancing as one piece, kind of in the first time we had ever built a full work with both halves of the company at the same time. So we were already in that trajectory. And I just... I couldn't, it didn't make sense to me to pay attention to one coast and not the other, especially when everything was going virtual. So we just started rehearsing all together. I brought all 11 dancers to, into Zoom rehearsals because we could, and we just kept crafting and creating the work. So our first presentation with the full company from everywhere that they were, because they were really scattered to the winds because of travel bans and stuff, one dancer was in Australia, and then a couple of other were in just other states in the United States, um, was our gala in 2000. And then after that, it was just very clear that we were building this work all together, that there are duets and trios across the country that occur. Um, and, you know, I, I got myself into this, and I am inspired by these dancers and, and what they do and what they create. And we just kept creating. And in January of 2021, we really went for it with an experiment because I was determined, and I think determined is the right word, incredibly stubborn might be another word, um, 
to bring them together and have them dance together. But I couldn't actually fly them to one another. So the solution was to live stream them to one another from different spaces. So the New York company was in Brooklyn Navy Yard and the Seattle company was at Vashon Island in uh, VCA, Vashon Center for the Arts. And we live streamed. We weren't able to go in both directions, but we were able to live stream Seattle to New York. Sorry, backwards. We live streamed New York to Seattle onto screens and then we live streamed from Seattle. So the experience of the audience was 11 dancers dancing together. That's awesome. Which was the goal. Yeah. So we're continuing to work on that. We've now created live experiences in amazing park environments and in outdoor environments in both the West Coast and the East Coast um, for the separate work. And we're, in October, going to bring everyone back together again and hopefully hopefully really accomplish the live stream back and forth so that they can truly dance together again. Well, I think if the listeners are listening to you even remotely closely, they can tell that the reason why there's two companies different places is because it informs the work. You know, it's incredibly informative of your work, and you can tell you're incredibly passionate about the challenge of putting that work together. But, I mean, but what, a, what a neat um, opportunity to bridge that distance through the virtual realm to create original work. That's something you didn't think was possible probably before March of 2020. No. I mean, I knew that others were doing rehearsals, you know, from, from different countries so that they could cut down on travel. I knew that that sort of stuff was happening. I just never thought that I would have the patience to do it. Um, I mean, I'm not only an in-person person, but I'm an outdoor in-person person. So technology is not usually something that I burden myself with. So I would also say that, you know, part of what we do is large scale. And this is a scale that I hadn't known I was going to go to. But And listen, virtually is a public place. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there you go. It's extremely public. It's on mission. <laughs> so there you go. Um, well, uh, one aspect of Kinesis project I wanted to touch on is it founded Women in Motion, um, and it, it's a platform to support female choreographers in New York City. Uh, I, I can see how that would be a project near and dear to you. Uh, so uh, how did that platform come to be, and what's its current status? Yeah, it, so happily, that question kind of spurs a couple of other things, but um, Women in Motion was a was kind of co-founded with Fran Kermzer, who is a producer and uh, amazing presenter. Um, and it was we were all part of an incredible theater called Manhattan Theater Source. The Manhattan Theater Source was a beautiful little brick box building in the West Village on McDougal Street. On McDougal Street, and I was one of the founding artists of. Manhattan Theater Source. And in Manhattan Theater Source was an incredible woman named Fiona Jones. And Fiona and various other women founded Estrogenius, which is the strongest festival to have stepped out of Manhattan Theater Source when we were forced to close our doors in 2014. So Estrogenius kept going. Um, as part of Estrogenius, Women in Motion started as a showcase space. You know, we'd bring in 10 artists, and those 10 artists would show a short work. 
over the years of taking on Women in Motion and seeing that it was truly necessary for female dance artists to also have a space and a place to share their voice in conjunction with Estrogenius, we started giving them more time and space and actually commissioning works from them. And then in roughly 2013, 2012 or 2013, um, I ended up with two more collaborators. I brought in some choreographers who had been working as part of Estrogenius. Um, and Jess Edkins and Amber Sloan and uh, Esther Palmer were artists that I brought in. And then we started to pay attention to what the field actually needed. And it was really clear that what the field needed was time to develop work. Um, so we started offering female choreographers time to develop work. Now, in the last five or six years, in partnership with the Bang Group, which is another dance organization that's downtown run by David Parker and Jeffrey Kazin, um, we are able to commission three artists a year and ask them to develop a 20-minute work over that entire year. And thanks to the Bang Group, we always have a place to give them a fully produced show. So it has grown from let's just bring women together and make a show happen to time and space and mentorship and conversation and a cohort of female artists that we choose because we've been watching artists for a long time. And we try to make sure that there's always someone who's kind of just coming up and someone who's a little bit more established and someone who's in the midway to offer as many opportunities as we can to female makers. I mean, I just find it amazing because uh, it goes beyond being an incubator for, for like dance. It goes on be, or for a person. Like it, it, it goes into a full project. Do you know what I mean? It's like it actually, it, it, you actually get tangible results from this. It's not just saying, hey, we think you have a lot of promise. <laughs> Uh, it's actually really something you're, it's, it's a commitment to these artists, which I think is something that has been lacking, well, in artists in general, but definitely women choreographers mm -hmm. uh, So for their representation. So I think that's an amazing thing. And I, I you, you segue perfectly into the, the, we're touching on the bases, as I said, uh, Melissa off camera earlier. It's like we hit the first base of Kinesis, we're going second base with, um, you know, women in motion, and uh, the third would be estrogenous. I think because uh, I I would I was at the festival in like 2003, and um, it is it's 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 a incredibly um, I remember this performance is so vividly the short play festival you all did down there at the Manhattan Theater Source, and little known trivia fact that was where I did my first play coming into Manhattan mm -hmm. uh, in what was it something with. Uh, um, oh well, that, that place should not be named. But anyway, it's a, it's a <laughs> but it was, but it, it was 2003 as well, uh, where I did my first one act play. Actually, it was my first fully my first one act play here, um, which is so it, Manhattan Theater Source always has a near and dear spot in my heart too. Mm -hmm. But um, getting back to Estrogenius, because of its unique focus on art generated, choreographed, composed, and performed by artists who expand the definition of women. And, um, and their festival. Uh, and I can see the overlap with your other projects, uh, how it all makes sense for you to be a part of it. I had no idea you were the founder, though, or one of the founders, or founding members. I had no idea about yeah, that Yeah, definitely founding, founding member, and I was, cool. I was one of the artists that 
was in the beginning of Manhattan Theater. Wow. So whereas in Estrogenius, I it took a little bit more pulling in. But as soon as it was clear that we were in the very beginning, and Fiona said to me, but we need dance in this festival. There you go. So there we were. Everyone just looked on the table at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so so I know the answer to this question, but I'd like for you to share with people where the festival is now 20 years later. Sure. And I would love to also just make sure that everyone knows that so when Estrogenius was founded in in 2000, um, there was an an empty vacuum where there should have been compelling, dynamic, uh, multifaceted roles for women to play. Women to play, the ability for those that were written to be able to seen on stage and for directors to direct them. And that's really where Estrogenius came from. The other element that was always present in Estrogenius was inclusivity. And, you know, at the time that meant, sure, if you are a male who can write celebration of women go for it we're not going to keep you out of this festival mac rogers did a great job so that that was always part of what estrogenius was founded in but from 2000 to 2021 what a women's work festival needs to be or how it can be defined has shifted and changed quite a lot so roughly in 2016 i believe 2016 2017 um, I had brought in Maura Donahue to help me run the festival. And we're both choreographers, so we generate through bodies. Um, and the body question, and the question that is in the dance community constantly and in the performance community constantly is, what, where does the identity of women, where does it need, why does it need to have a line? So the, we officially opened up what estrogenius is and we we have it in our mission and we have it in everything that we state that estrogenius is a platform for voices that need to be heard and those voices are female female identifying non-binary and racially diverse voices well it's it's amazing how it's still around i think frigid is the one that keeps it up now with with yeah. the, with, with Ziv and those guys down there do a great job too in their own right yeah that um, partnership is incredible that we can bring in the artists and we can curate and they co-curate with us and then they just give us this incredible platform. It's really wonderful. Absolutely. I, I'm so, I'm, it makes me happy uh, as someone, it's because part of my history here too, that uh, it's still going strong. Yeah. Um, well, as we lily pad jump around third heading for home for your other project, Melissa, <laughs> people are like, they're like taking, they're, they're like, like doing, <laughs> doing like little like etches on the sides of like wood, uh, when, when they're at their home, uh, like like how old you are. It's number four, folks, for keeping track at home. Uh, we're lily pad jumping to another company you lead, Dance Rising. Um, as I mentioned before, you founded this in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's, for, it's your most recent project, we'll say. Uh, and it, But uh, listen, COVID-19 abruptly ended jobs across the board in dance um, for everybody. And so this is about being an advocate for the art form and dancers who reside specifically here in New York City. Um, so it's, it's been a fast and furious year and a half with this. So what has the response been? And is it, is it galvanizing support with the dance field in New York? Like Estrogenius has sparked, was that spark 20, 21 years ago? Yeah. Well, for women, I, I think so. <laughs> 
um, when I I was part of these incredible calls, when when everything shut down, there were a number of calls that started happening either daily or weekly, and one of them was the Dance NYC call every Thursday for the field-wide call. It was bringing the entire dance field together into one call to talk about what was possibly happening in our city and, and what to do about it. Because at the time and in the beginning of all of this, dance was just not at the table at all. It was just kind of lumped in with Broadway. Like, oh, there's dance in Broadway. So that was as close as we got to the table. So Alejandra and her team at Dance NYC were working really hard to create a space for dance at the table. And she kept saying, we have to do things that will make dance visible. And I'm a large-scale choreographer. So what I thought would make dance visible, and maybe what other people think would make dance visible, maybe was different. Alejandro was working very hard to actually make it visible by decision makers, literally in at tables and in conversations, um, bringing the mayor into conversations, making sure the DCLA was in those conversations. And what I kept seeing was dancers projected on the sides of buildings. How can we make dance actually visible to New York to let people know and create the conversation that the reason they weren't seeing dance was because there was actually no way for us to do what we do. It's a physical art form. It takes place in groups. We gather people together. There, there, wasn't even, there weren't even any mandates on how we could reopen. There wasn't even in the conversation. So you have all of these dancers who have a limited timeline in how long they can be doing what they're doing, who have trained their entire lives to do it and have put aside the rest of their life in order to do this. And it just felt incredibly necessary for me to bring us all together in some way and begin that conversation with decision makers and with our audiences to make sure that they understood that we would actually, there was, there was, it was almost impossible for us to reopen without their support. So the other part that is incredibly important to Dance Rising is that it is all forms of dance. Something that was revealed also in the, in the um, racial justice and in the uprisings of the last year, year and a half, six years, um, is that there is an inequality with how professional dancers are viewed, that there might be one kind of professional dance that's seen as more professional than another kind of professional. And the other part of our work is to just disband that, take that apart, um, to bring all dancers to a similar level and a similar level of visibility. Um, so we don't curate what we do. We ask dancers to self-identify as professional in their careers and dance. And by dancing, by choosing to step outside in our hyper-local dance-outs, they choose to claim themselves as dancers. And we see them as dancers and professionals because they've all struggled and they've all been part of this shutdown. Um, and they, we ask them to video themselves. So we have the performance element, which is somewhat of a revolution of just getting 300 dancers to step outside and dance. And then they record themselves, and then they send us those recordings. We also ask them to take steps to advocate for themselves. So we're not, we do work to advocate for them, but really what we want to do is teach dancers 
how to talk to their electorate, how to pay attention to what they need, how to pull for their own health care. Um, all of these things are integral to the field staying alive in some way. Wow. I mean, it's so to just for people to understand and unpack that a little bit, because it's a lot, is that it's not just about dancing. <laughs> it's about the livelihood. It's a cons and, and not and expand out from that. It's a concerted, concerted effort um, by the arts field, hopefully urging the arts field. And who supports the arts field? Well, funders support the arts field. Your city councilman will say maybe the NEA a little bit. We'll say maybe Department of Cultural Affairs, hopefully, and the state, and NISCA, and all the other funders um, will get behind it, not just foundations. Um, uh, support women in dance and their projects to get them and their work to the next level. Yeah, and the, I mean, also with Dance Rising, it is all dancers. There is no, yeah. we're, not, we're not qualifying anyone. Um, and the collection, the collective of people that came together mm. was just incredible. Choreographers and folks that were, I so a, a new term that I'm going to bring in here okay, is great. cultural workers. Cultural workers. That's kind of administrators and people who run things who are mm. part of making culture work. Gotcha. Um, and it's still working its way into my language, but I'm reminding myself. Cultural workers. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like I feel like I should have like overalls and like a rivet gun on me or something well, like that. Well, you know, but you're going to make you know, things happen making and build things. Making things happen. Build, build, building a ship for, for the arts. But you're right. It's not just women. It's men too and non-binary and everyone under the sun who sees... An, self-identifies themselves as a dancer mm -hmm. that's yeah. that's the real i want to make sure i corrected myself on right. that and yeah. uh um it's a lot and you're doing i mean dance uh, the dance gods should be very happy to have you as an advocate <laughs> uh for them so as we close up our time together melissa um can you share any new projects on the horizon we, i mean we spoke about ones coming right now with kinesis obviously yes so we have kinesis project has performances in Riverside Park on September 19th. We have performances in Little Island on September 25th. Uh, the next Dance Rising is October 22nd. And the next Kinesis Project performance that is the live stream between the two cities is um, October 8th and 9th. And where can we find all these projects on the interwebs? And, oh, and Estrogenius oh. is hosting a film festival oh. the same weekend as the Dance Rising Risings, uh, October 22nd to the 24th. Gotcha. Um, you can find these at estrogenius.nyc, dancerising.org, and kinesisproject.com. Folks, you know where to go. Very good. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time um, and being here with us today while you should be choreographing something somewhere right now. Uh, so um, listeners, you can find those links uh, in the description of this episode. Uh, we want to thank you again for taking the time, Melissa, and joining us here uptown at our Artist Spotlight episode uh, edition of In What Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, dancers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. That really does help us. Uh, many thanks to Hanneman Health Club here at 219 Sherman Avenue in Inwood, NYC for hosting us and to HeightsHeights.com for our local uptown promotional support. 
be sure to follow us on social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up, to keep up with all that we do, uh, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Al Fresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. And you can support On Air and all of our programming by making a tax-free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc backslash donate. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air. Thank you.